The number one key trait of high-performing marketing organizations is executive buy-in to a new idea of marketing, not just taking old ideas and trying to fit them into new technologies. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. This is another fun LinkedIn Live. Uh, as most of you know, I just put this note out there, but I've been running the Flip My Fall podcast now for like two years. And now I'm turning all of those conversations into LinkedIn Live. So this is really, really cool because Matthew Sweezy, I'm a huge fan of him. We work together at Salesforce. His new book, The Context Marketing Revolution, I got an early copy of it. So it's a really, really cool book. And it's by Harvard Business Review. So amazing publisher. And he's, it's releasing tomorrow. So we yeah. thought, why not just go to this thing live so people get a taste of it and then hopefully get... Yeah, um, incredible information on like what really context context marketing revolution means. So, uh, Sweezy, welcome to the show, man. LinkedIn Live. Hey, man, thanks for having me, everyone. Welcome to my living room, right? Yeah. Work from home. Here you go. Here we go. All right, please share a little bit about yourself because you have such a fascinating history, and and I, I just love the kind of work you do. I've spoken alongside with you at several different different events. Share a little bit about yourself and also a fun fact about you. Cool. Yeah. So um, been in the marketing technology world for a while. Had a startup right about 12 years ago, ran that for a while, shut it down, and then went to go work for another little startup um, where we both worked together, a company called Pardot. Uh, I was employee 13, created the thought leadership practice there and was there for that ride. Then as you know, we were acquired by Exact Target, worked on the thought leadership team there, uh, wrote a book called Marketing Automation for Dummies during that time. And then now on the thought leadership team at Salesforce, really focused on the future of marketing uh, and helping answer that question both internally and externally. So that's kind of my ride. One fun fact about me. So my father was a shop teacher. My grandfather, his father was a shop teacher. And my other grandfather was a carpenter. So I was raised in a wood shop. So at the age of 18, I was a nationally ranked woodworker. So that's my fun fact. Yeah. Dude, so are you now that you're working from home, are you doing any more of the woodworking thing at home? No. There's, there's no wood shop in my condo, so <laughs> not allowed. It would be. It, it is super interesting to think about. Like you're talking about the post AI world and like what the future of work looks like, and you have this completely opposite. All right, let me just get messy with my hand, and so that yeah. it, it's a great con, you know contrast. Yeah. Well, they always say that you know if you look at. I think there was a study done a few years ago, maybe like five to ten. But they did a look at a lot of the CEOs, the successful CEOs, and found that there was a common trait of CEOs enjoying building things, period. Um, and they had a high correlation of a lot of CEOs having wood shops and being handy just because they enjoyed the process of building things. Yeah, that, that is such a, that's a good point, man. All right. So uh, if you can hear us and see and feel free to put comments in here, we can look at the comments and have questions and I can ask those questions to Sweezy. Uh, we, I call Sweezy because that's, we, we've just gone so long back. Like, I think it just, that's how we, yeah. would, and we would go. There was that's even, what most people call me. Yeah. Most people, right? And there was even a joke around like why your name does not have two T's, right? Yeah. I always joke and say that we were too poor to afford the second T. Uh, but the reality is my mother didn't want people to call me Matt. So she only put one T in my first name. 
So that's why I only have one T in Matthew. That's that's awesome, man. All right, so we're going to talk about the context marketing revolution. And in this book, it is research-based. I love that this is not just... So, so one, I have the copy. I've read most of it, not all of it, being very honest about it with everything going on. But off everything I've read, it is very research-based. So it's not just well, here's what I think, or here's what's going to happen. It's, it's obviously future of, of where marketing is going, but it has data. It has history. Um, I love the combination of both history as well as survey data that you guys did with Salesforce. Um, as well. So to share a little bit about the, the history of how this book came about, and then we can jump into well, what does that actually mean in today's day and age? Yeah. So how this book came about was a lot of different research studies kind of culminating into one really big idea. Um, essentially, that idea is, and you're right, right? For us to know what the future is, we have to know where we've come from. And we have to know what those ideas that we carry forward are. And we have to look at, are the fundamental aspects of those ideas really foundationally appropriate for where we are going or where we even are? Um, so that's kind of the, the, the big thing we need to think about. So there's two things kind of going on at the same time. One is we've been doing a lot of surveys. Um, and to the to the current date, about like 20,000 plus brands across the globe, we've interviewed survey methodology over the past five years, right? What we've been looking at are what are the key traits of high-performing organizations? Mm. Now, in the same time, I also do another separate research study looking at noise, right? And media environments and saying, you know, how are media environments changing? How does that change consumer behavior, consumer decision-making processes? What are the mechanics that we need to use to actually reach the modern consumer? How do they operate? What are their demands? And we yeah. kind of put all these things together it kind of paints a very interesting picture. And that picture really kind of says the following thing. It says, we have left an era, right? We changed an era and specifically did the research and math proves it was like 2009. We entered a radically new media era. Now, it's not that we just have more noise, right? It's not just that this thing is called social media. It's not that we have mobile connections. It's the reality that it's a radically different environment from the ground up, right? There's a hundred times more mobile connections than there were in 2007. Excuse me, 30 times. No, it's a hundred times more than in 2007. We create 500 times more data than we created in 2007, right? It's a radically different environment and it operates on a new ground, right? And it changes the game. So if we think about marketing and business strategy as a game, right? It's a game that we play given the specific environment. And being able to prove that we enter a new environment proves that we need to play different games. And then we say, well, what games to play? Well, then we look at those high performers and say, well, what are high performers doing right now? And what we see is the number one key trait of high performing marketing organizations is executive buy-in to a new idea of marketing, not mm -hmm. just taking old ideas and trying to fit them into new technologies. Right? It's a fundamentally different thing. So that's really kind of the culmination, kind of the basic premise of this book. I love that. Now, you mentioned about this as a revolution, right? And right. that is yeah. a very, very key word. Because, and that attracted me to the, the, the book, the copy of it, and all it. It's like, and the context around it. So, so tell me a little bit more about, like, why is it a revolution? And also, this whole idea of infinite media. Like, what does it mean when we say infinite media? It's such a good question. Um, so the, the term revolution was highly debated in this title, right? So uh, there's a few people that we debated this with. Mark Schaefer, a good friend of mine, we kind of went back and forth on this. Um, it's often overused and then used incorrectly. The reason we felt it was appropriate in this sense is for the, the word you just used, which is infinite media, right? Yeah. We left the limited media era and limitations in three factors, creation, distribution, access, right? And we entered the infinite media era, right? Anyone in the world where there are more people who talk about mobile connectivity, what can each one of those devices do? Well, it can instantly create, 
infinitely distribute and then access an infinite trove of content. Right? This is a new world that we are living in with different ways to make decisions. And then we have to respond accordingly. Um, so the reasons it's a revolution is because the idea that we have of marketing was created during a different media environment, right? In the limited era, right? The foundation was attention. If we take those same games and bring them forward, they no longer are appropriate because the new ground is context, right? So that's where we get the word context and then the revolution because we have to literally give up old ideas, old games like sex sells, right? It doesn't sell. In fact, what we see are, you know, brands that really doubled down on this, Anheuser-Busch and Carl's Jr. have both given them up saying they're no longer effective and we want to be known for food, not boobs. They literally yeah. said that in public, wow. public statement. Right. So, you know, games such as no such thing as bad press. Well, they're reviews now. So you ask any question, you're going to receive both good and bad press. Right. Right message, right person, right time. Theoretically, we thought that's all we had to do to really to drive somebody to do what we wanted. The reality is, even when we can do that, those messages fail to resonate 98.2 percent of the time or some. I look at the book. I forgot the number. But it's like 99 point something percent of the time fail to drive any action. And then the real reality is that now everything is a considered purchase, right? Because now people have risk in every decision and we as humans mitigate risk the best we can. So in any decision, even for a simple thing like a toothbrush, we find there are now journeys that last in a minimum of 70 seconds and go across four different websites, right? Because there's a risk to making a decision, we mitigate that risk in new ways. So motivation is not a single thing. It's we have to now be share of journey and how can we motivate people by guiding them from, from step to step. So it's kind of the, the basic premise of, the, of that, the, what the limited era was, what the infinite era is and why it's a revolution and what we must do. Yeah, that, and and I'm, as I'm, I'm just literally looking down all the notes I made before this interview to make sure that we talk through this. Like you hit on a lot of these. Talk to us about the, the five principles that you have from a customer experience perspective. And maybe just, yeah. you know, we can, we can go into just a couple of one and just, just an, a much more deeper. Because I yeah. think what I would love to hear, and I think what I'm seeing from people, and if you, again, if you like this, please go ahead and comment on it. If you have questions, ask about it. These five principles, I think, is important, regardless if you're in marketing or not. I think it's just for any business leader, if you're listening to it, pass it on to them. Because I think that's really what it boils down to. But I would love for us to dig into maybe a couple one and go deeper on it with some questions. Sure. All right. So let's break this down, right? So when I said the number one key trait of high-performing marketing organizations is executive buy-in to a new idea of marketing, that idea is as follows. They shift the core definition of marketing from the department who creates messages to the owners and sustainers of all experiences across the customer journey. Right. If you don't have executive buy-in to shift the definition of marketing and how you grow your business to that, nothing else yeah. matters moving forward. Right. So then the yeah. next question is, if we're focused on experiences, then what should we create? And the answer is a contextual experience. And I break a contextual experience down into five key traits. It needs to be available. It has to be permissioned. It needs to be personal. It has to be authentic. And it has to be purposeful. And so if we start to say, well, what does that look like? And let's even look at some examples amidst the current climate, what we see are a couple of basic things, right? We need to make sure that we have information that's available, right? If you don't have a single source of information about how you're responding and how your stakeholders, how your customers and how your employees, are you uh, treating them right now? You, that's available. You need to have information so they can find it, right? We need to be authentic. And a really good key word of authenticity is empathy, right? We need to make sure that our, our marketing right now is highly empathetic, 
right? Yeah. Look at a bunch of great examples. Lesson Lee is a great example, right? <laughs> Kyle, and I love what they did, right? They created a coloring book because we're all working from home. You've yeah. got kids, right? <laughs> How do you entertain <laughs> your children? And try to keep them busy is like, yeah. Well, if you can just simply print out a coloring book on your desktop, hand it to your kids, it's at least a way of being empathetic of helping meet them in the context of the moment, right? And the definition of context is helping people achieve a goal, right? That's how we break through, right? That's how we engage with them. And then we parlay that trust to then guide them to the next steps along the journey. Um, So those are a couple of really simple, easy examples. Another big conversation is purpose, right? It's purpose-driven. Right. We must find ways like during this current point in time, find ways to reuse your product in new ways. Right. Some things that we've done is essentially we've opened up, you know, Quip, a collaboration tool. We have to collaborate online right now. So what we've done is given Quip away for free through September. Right. Just go ahead and start using it. We're no, we don't care about, you know, getting money from you. Just be better and connect better. You know, so how can you, you find purpose driven ways um, to then, you know, move your product forward? And there's lots of examples in the book, but there's just a couple in terms of how do we think about this in the current time. Talk to me specifically, and I think people would really appreciate that the amount of research went into collecting a lot of this information that is relate that is ultimately helping you talk about the future of work in these five different paradigm shifts. Did, what was the research look like? How long did it take before you kind of got to like, all right, this is the big idea, and here are all the elements of it? How did that shape it? Because I'm really interested in understanding that. Yeah, so it was a long time. Uh, so about four years of research, right? And this is different studies over different periods of time. Um, one study would then say, well, that then opens up this question. Let's look at that. Let's look at this, right? So when we put all of this research together, here's a bunch of the studies that are collected into this one book, right? And by the way, there's lots of other people's research that I pull into this book. But, you know, proprietary research, here's what we've got. First, we had to be able to identify the media environments, which means tracking noise from 1900 and projecting it all the way forward to 2030. And with that, we can then start to see that we entered a new media environment where now consumers control the media environment and it all operates for them. And that's really where the word context comes from. Because if you look at the modern media environment, just look at any aspect. Take Google, right? So if you ask a question, what answers come back? Contextual ones. We Mm -hmm. all ask the same question. We all get different answers. Look at social media. It's not a chronological feed. It's a contextual feed. New mediums that are popping up don't even have timestamps. Why? Because it doesn't matter about time, it matters about context, right? TikTok does not have timestamps. It can show you whatever content it wants at any point in time, and it's contextual focus, not chronologically focused. Yeah. Right? So we need to start thinking about what that is. That's one. Two, we've got lots of research in terms of consumer behavior. Um, so, you know, we did the state of the connected customer, retail studies. There's lots of research. We have a research department at Salesforce that's yeah. pulled lots of research together. Then there's the state of marketing, which we look at about 5,000 brands on average every year across mm-hmm. the globe. Right. So this is where we separate what are high performers doing from underperformers. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the collective body of, you know, environmental. What's the environment? How are consumers being affected? Um, and then how must we respond? And that's kind of where a lot of this comes from. And then there's so much other research that's brought in to help support these ideas and theories from other people, other Harvard authors, you know, Seth Godin, Joseph Pine, lots of other right. people. I love that. And I wanted to thank you for sharing that, uh, Sweezy, because I think I read a, I have a lot of books. I read a lot of books. And a lot of times I think it's more pontification of like, hey, where is the world going to be? And that's yeah. great. You do need that. But I felt like when I read this book, of the very few books I've ever read actually have so much research data um, that goes back to like, you know, 1900s and say that, well, look at, look at the trend that has happened. So there's 
something to look yeah. behind in order to look forward. So I really, really enjoy the one of the areas that I want to explore more on is this this thing that you had around B two C versus B two B. Does that matter? Doesn't matter, right? And you have the matter. table around the attitudes that you know that B two B you know folks have with B two C. Can you can you double click on that one for us? Yeah, let's dive in. So here's the concept, right? I'm calling for a radical shift because the world has already shifted radically, right? So this is a response to something that's already happened. And when we start looking at you know, when we start talking about this with brands, you start to get a couple of really big pushbacks, especially from executives when you're trying to say, we need to operate differently. Those pushbacks usually come in two forms. Um, it's usually, well, that is only going to affect people of a certain age. And this really lends to the millennial versus baby boomer. Um, yes. And this also then gets into the, well, that only affects consumer purchases and we're a B2B brand. So the B2C versus B2B argument. The reality is it doesn't matter. Right. So let's just first off take the concept of millennials versus baby boomers. So yeah. we've done this research for years. Right. And what we've realized is there is a very small delta between the expectations of a baby boomer and a millennial. Now, they want those experiences delivered on different channels, but they still have the exact same expectations. In fact, the delta is only 12 percent between what they expect. When we're asking like expectations, this is not like, oh, what do you do you value experiences? Now, these are very specific questions like, yeah. how do you feel about giving up data for better experiences? How do you feel about loyalty programs and how do those affect your, your connection to the brand? Like some very specific questions. Yeah. Right? So 12% delta between millennials and baby boomers in terms of expectations. Right? And then the flip side is they also are disappointed at the exact same. Right? <laughs> the reality is both of those demographics have the exact same levels of disappointment at a current time. Right. Right. Now we then say, well, if this is not just a, you know, can millennial versus boomer thing, maybe this is a B2B versus B2C thing. And the reality is B2B buyers are actually more affected by these changes than their B2C counterparts. Now, before I get into all the things, mm. let's ask the question, why would they be more affected? And the simple answer is that there's more risk in their decisions. And go back to the thing I said, right? We're going to mitigate risk. And now that there is more connectivity, more information, and more ways to mitigate risk, they do that, right? So when we ask questions such as, is the experience as important as the product or service? 89% of B2B buyers say the experience is just as important as the product or service. Only 79% of B2C consumers would say that exact same thing. If we ask the question, has technology significantly changed your expectations of how a company should interact with you? 77% of B2B buyers agree with that statement. Only 58% of B2C buyers agree with that statement. Do you expect brands that you purchase from to respond and interact with you in real time? 80% of B2B buyers agree. Only 64% of B2C buyers agree. How about wow. this one? Will you pay more for a great experience? 82% of B2B buyers say yes. Only 59% of B2C consumers say yes. Right? Wow. Um, so when we think about what this is, the greater the risk of a decision, the more impacted these people are going to be in those processes and the more we need to focus on this notion of context to meet them. Wow. Now, get, I mean, that, those percentages are pretty interesting. And I would, I think, um, Suezy, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it because we, as a, at Terminus, right, we just went from three co-founders to now about 250 people. Uh, mm -hmm. We ended up acquiring a couple of companies, Sixter, the company that we acquired, Last year, it had both B2B and B2C customers. And really, so now we have a whole bunch of B2B and B2C customers. So we are kind of now in that, that kind of interesting place where we have both types of customers. And what we're realizing more and more as an organization is that the more empathetic and direct we are, the better it is. 
as opposed to trying to get people through hoops of like, hey, let's fill up a form, uh, go do this thing before we talk to you. I think we just straight up give them the pricing. If it sells very quickly, get to the point of like, hey, here's what we can do. And more importantly, here's what we cannot do. Like, I think we hear customers coming back and saying, thank you for saying that we know you can do that, and but, but nobody else ever told us that. I think that level of conversation for our sales team has become one of our secret weapons to, to just be dismantled any of the FUD or all that kind of stuff. And when I when I read through your whole idea around being purposeful and authentic, I really underlined that whole area because I feel like B2B companies think that they cannot be purposeful because they're selling like softwares and, and that, like, you know, it's not like a nonprofit sometimes or it's not like Patagonia yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I flat out reject that. I feel like... We can be purposeful. I mean, look at Salesforce as an organization. Like everything that I think you guys are starting to do more of has been more on purpose than it has ever been before. So can you jump in a little bit more around the con- the, the, the myth? Is, is that a myth that you can be purposeful yeah. if you're a B2B organization, one? And two, are there examples of B2B organizations that are doing it really well? Oh, yeah. So first off, let's tackle the first part of that, which is we all... I've heard purpose. We all know we should be purpose-driven. So the question should then come up of why aren't more companies purpose-driven? We asked this question. So two years ago in the state of marketing, we asked this question like, whatever, how many thousands of people? And the answer came back in three specific ways, right? They don't understand how they essentially can connect their product to a purpose. Um, That's one. They don't understand how to make the connection. Two, they're afraid of doing so would isolate members of their audience. And three, they don't have executive buy-in to do these things, right? So those are the three key reasons of why brands don't do this. And really, if you kind of look at what is being said, is that people conflate the word purpose with social justice. They say, if purpose-driven efforts are social justice efforts, that is a scary place. And that is not what purpose-driven efforts are. Essentially, purpose-driven efforts are grounded in stakeholder theory. So stakeholder theory is a business idea that essentially says we must function for the highest value of our stakeholders, not just shareholders, right? So this is a much more empathetical way of growing a business, of operating. We very much are a stakeholder-driven organization and have been for a very long time. We've been one of the leaders in that, right? So let's kind of break down this concept of purpose, right? So first off, there's another people conflation people have, which is this idea of corporate social responsibility. There's this concept that if I do good and tell the world that I'm doing good, I am a purpose-driven brand. And that's not actually accurate, right? You are a responsible brand and you are doing things that are good things. But here's the question. Is that going to have any impact with your audience in terms of motivating them to take action with you? And the answer is, resoundingly, probably not, right? Good example. I sit on a Delta flight Pretty much every week, right? Not right now, but pretty much every week. Every time they show me a clip of building Habitat for Humanity houses and telling me how good they are as a brand. The problem is that is a message forced on me, not an action or experience done with me, right? So we must rethink this idea, right? CSR is good, but purpose-driven efforts are ones that you do with your marketplace and they are not campaigns. They're constantly running efforts. So let me go through a couple of examples, right? Yeah. One, Protopaxi. Now, this is a B2C brand, but just think about what they've done. They redid their entire supply chain, ensuring that anyone that supplies a product to them has full health care for all of their employees. If you don't do that, you can't be a supplier, 
right? That is a purpose-driven effort too. Education. They have factory workers. They educate all of their factory workers to make sure that they can create their own products. And then they give them an entire product line to run on their own so they have better economic opportunity, right? That's an internal effort. They're not telling the world about that. That's just how they operate, right? Then they put on events, and these events called the Questival Series. And I think it was 50 different uh, cities over the past year. And you're working on events with your marketplace to do amazing things in those markets. You know, they're like an adventure race type thing, but you're doing purpose-driven initiatives. Right? So those are a couple of good examples. So let's talk about a B2B scenario, right? So we have a phenomenal example uh, at Salesforce, and it's the Trailhead community, the Trailblazer Network. Right. And it's a it's a community that does two specific things. One, there is the ability for people to connect and answer each other's questions and help each other out. And why would we do that? Well, because our if we go to the context, right, how can we help our customers out? There's two big ways we can help them out. One is we can help them improve their own business. And two is we can help them improve their own outcomes in their own lives. Right. So by allowing people to connect and help answer each other's questions, what people are actually doing is building personal brand. And they're able to build their own personal brand in this ecosystem. And here's the outcome. A quarter of the people have already found new jobs through that ecosystem, right? Helping people find a new job is a radically purpose-driven thing, right? You And talk about brand equity going for a long time, right? That's not a a traditional marketing campaign in any stretch. The second aspect is education, right? There's a whole educational platform where you can take courses, earn badges. 14 million badges have been completed to date, right? Mm -hmm. People have changed their LinkedIn job title to their status inside this community. Um, And then when we kind of boil all this down and say, well, what's the business impact, right? Well, what we found is customers spend twice as much and say customers four times as long, right? So by focusing on the context, helping them accomplish their goals, right? Helping them accomplish the goal of personal brand, helping them accomplish the goal of better business outcomes. By focusing on those things, we have produced radically better outcomes for both ourselves and our marketplace. Man, those are incredibly amazing examples. You know what? I'll, I'll share this and then we would, uh, we would wrap the two big ideas I learned and a challenge. One of the things we do from a customer perspective is we started to bring a customer in the office. Again, back in the days when we could actually go to the office, we, yeah. uh, we would bring every, about a year ago, we decided we're going to bring a customer in flesh in the office because we wanted everybody from sales, marketing, to the engineering person who is creating a feature, to the back office person who is sending invoices. We want everybody to know what does a customer look like? What do they talk about? What, how is their lives getting changed? Because we just started to feel like we were selling software. And yes, we were changing the way marketing is working in our own little world around account-based marketing. But in reality, some of those customers would came in and they would literally say, you guys changed our lives. And we were like, now, nah, come on, we, we're, we're a SaaS blog. We don't change lives. They're like, no, no, no. I'm not afraid of like let going, letting go from my company because I now have a skill set that I didn't have before. And now I can get a new job. And that person moved. And it's to your point, that's why it hit me because it's not like they stayed with us, but that person stayed with us uh, as a customer, as he went to like different companies and it said, we want to be your customer again, because they believe that we invested in it. So thank you right. so much. For and then that is context marketing because you help them accomplish a major goal in their life. You broke through and built brand equity in a way that no traditional messaging campaign ever could. Yeah, like the case study, like you know, forget the case study itself. Like let's just do real conversation in that man. So so good.
All right, um, two big ideas. And before we get there, tomorrow at noon, we're going to have Patrick Lencioni, and we're just talking about how do you lead yourself and your team. So I'm really looking forward to it. So hopefully you will join us uh, at that time because I know you're, you're a fan of, uh, of Patrick's work. Uh, yeah. Sure. Tomorrow will um, be a little crazy. Got the book launch, but I'll try. Oh, dude, yeah, you got a book launch. So if there's yeah. anything from you to tell us to do, like feel free to share in a second as well. Uh, by the book. <laughs> <laughs> by the book. We'll have the link to the book in here at this point. By the way, is it also getting out in audio format? Uh, yeah, it'll be out in audio, uh, Kindle, digital, and it's already being retranslated into like three or four different languages. So Taiwanese, uh, Vietnamese, Chinese, and something else. That is so cool, man. That is so yeah, cool. Thanks. Awesome. All right. So two big ideas. Number one for me, and I, I took a bunch of notes on this thing. Uh, two big ideas. Number one, this this whole idea of building things, I think, you know, just a personal experience as you shared, we have to look at history to start thinking about the future. And a lot of times I think we just get stuck into our traditional way of marketing, but marketing is changing. And you just shared that right now, if you look at Facebook and Twitter and all these different places, they are, or even Google, they are not doing content-based. They're actually doing context-based. I, I know when I search on something, my question will already be popped in there. I never even type the question anymore. I just say, how can I build? And it will give me the five options or something like that. So if I'm not creating content that is context-based, I'm going to miss the boat by, by yeah. a mile, if not. So I love that this is actually happening. This is not a future state that you get to five years from now. This is happening, folks, right now. So you start learning and getting to it. Second thing, and you mentioned this several times throughout this, this whole interview, the idea of getting executive buy-in for the new idea. Mm-hmm. I think this is where most organizations fail. I think this is where I failed um, a lot of times in my life. Uh, in every job is that jumping in without getting the executive to buy in. And if the executive team is not bought into the concept of what you're trying to do, and then how it's going to change, which means your metrics might be different. The way you go to market might be different. You might be working on some long-term things as opposed to short-term means. If you don't get those expectations set in the early stage, you're, you're going you're gonna to have a really big challenge uh, to prove because everybody's going to ask me what's going on. So go back and spend the time. And this is a personal for, for me more than anybody is that spend the time with your executive team to get buy-in from them and take the time, take the time to, to get them over the hump because they are going to have very important questions for you. And it's a yeah. new paradigm, very shift. So don't just say, well, they're, they're, they're old fools or whatever. No, no, no. They actually have really good legitimate business questions and you can actually answer those if you really take the time and it's only going to help you get better. So take the time. And and also, let me just add one caveat to that. That's one of the big reasons why I wrote this book and why this book is so filled with so much data, right? You're going to have to use that data as ammunition to help make your points. And, And the other aspect, it's very hard to be a prophet in your own land. Right. So if you're able to bring them and say, hey, listen, you know, this isn't what I think. This is the, the this is business theory, Harvard business, right? This is legitimate, right? Let's then look at this and then let's look at what you think, why you think that way. Right. Yeah. So first off, we have to say, why should you change? Well, here's the data on why you should change. And then what should we change to? Um, those answers are also then based in data in that book as well. So that was the second aspect of why I wrote it was to actually help you actually get that goal accomplished. That's fantastic, man. I love that. So I'm going to finish the rest of the book. So, uh, and uh, this is another one I wrote down. So I'll give you three now is that don't run campaigns on this. I love when you got into that. This is not like, like, for example, 
right now if somebody's running a COVID campaign, that's that's just not smart. Like that's just like lack of empathy at like the worst level. It's not about campaigns. It's about being purposeful around what you're trying to do and go back and ask the question, what is the purpose here and why are we doing what we're doing? And regardless, don't try to be a non-profit-ish oriented. You can still have purpose by building a great community. You can have purpose by creating jobs. You can have purpose by helping people on your team find new promoted or get people to find new jobs. All these things are great purpose and we should be proud that we create a, a job in the job market. So don't worry about this product purpose uh, oriented thing. So, so with that, what is the one big challenge you want to give everybody as they get out today in the world? Yeah, it's three words. I want Before you do anything, I want you to think about these three words. With, not, on. Are you doing these actions with your marketplace or are you doing these actions to force them on your marketplace? Mm-hmm. If you operate to work with your marketplace, you will always be operating in context. If you're focusing on how can I force this on them, you will always miss them. So just oh, with, yeah. not, on. With not on, man, that should be the that should have been the title of the book. Like I love yeah, that. Should have, yeah, it would have been a good one, but yeah, yeah, yeah that would get the conversation going. Now I hear you, man. This is with not on. I love that. That's pretty cool. All right, Sweezy, thank you so much, man. Good luck with the book launch tomorrow. And guys, I have got my book, so hopefully you go get your book today. So thank you so much. Later, guys. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.